Hello, I am Philip Kennedy. Thank you for downloading this podcast of the NYU Abu Dhabi Institute. We hope you enjoy listening to this. For more information about our programs, please visit www.nyuad.nyu.edu slash institute. Mesdames et messieurs, bonsoir. Shukran jazilan ala istikbelkun. Ladies and gentlemen, good evening. Um, it's a pleasure for me to introduce tonight the Night of Ideas. It's the sixth edition. And having participated in uh, several of the previous editions, I can tell you it's a fascinating event. It takes place worldwide in France, but also in uh, many other countries, in uh, many different environments, in cinemas, in uh, um, French institutes, in concert halls, in museums, uh, in universities. And... Um, when was the time of a physical presence, it looked a bit like Woodstock, but now this is going to be digital and it's going to be even more fascinating. There was a saying in the 1970s in France, we, um, we used to say, we don't have oil, but we have ideas. The great thing with the UAE is you have both. So um, I guess it's going to be a very, very interesting event. The theme worldwide of the Night of Ideas is closer. With the pandemic, we've had to reinvent our relationship to space, our relationship to territory. We'll have, we've had to remake our bonds of sociability and of interacting with space. So this evening conference is going to be um, uh, exploring that topic with a particular relationship to the UAE because it will focus on a very specific place, which is very close to here, the Corniche. It will explore the relationship to um, space, the different groups which um, uh, interact on the Corniche and the different forms of sociability in that specific place. I would like to thank particularly the partners of this event, New York University Abu Dhabi and the Abu Dhabi Youth Hub for their splendid support and collaboration on, on this project. And with this, my friends, I leave you in the expert hands of a, a beautiful uh, panel of uh, scholars and practitioners who will address the, uh, the topics that I mentioned. Um, and I would like to also mention the fact that all this will be um, streamed on our uh, social me media, the social media of the, of the French Institute. Um, and I hope you will have a great time and I wish you an excellent night. Have coffee and enjoy. Yeah, let's start. So, bonsoir, Nasser Khair. Uh, good evening, everyone, and thank you for joining us. Uh, my name is Laura Saf. I'm an assistant professor at New York University, Abu Dhabi. And so I'll be the moderator for tonight's uh, discussion. So tonight's event uh, is actually part of a much larger initiative called La Nuit des Idées, the Night of Ideas, that is coordinated by the French Institute uh, in various locations uh, around the world. And... Um, the purpose of this event is to invite us to reflect on a common theme uh, across these uh, these different countries where the, the Institute is uh, is located. And for the 2021 edition, the theme is uh, proche in French, which is actually a term that is very difficult to translate into English, but which means something like being close to each other, being near uh, each other, an idea of uh, proximity uh, of interactions between uh, between people. 
And so as an introduction, I'm going to say a few words about um, how we've decided to address this theme in tonight's round table, and then I'll introduce our panelists for tonight. Um, so this idea of proximity, of being close, uh, sort of resonates strangely at the moment uh, in the current context, which is that of the COVID-19 pandemic, uh, obviously, and all the uh, impact it had on how we organize our social life and our interactions with uh, each other. In particular, it has raised many uh, preoccupations and many discussions about um, the way these uh, many social activities, interactions, etc., have been moved online or out of regular uh, social spaces in uh, in the city as a result of the pandemic and how this impacts the way that we relate to uh, to each other. Uh, and I would say that I would argue or one of the, the starting points for this panel is the idea that urban life uh, is one of the, the areas where this impact has been particularly strong, precisely because it is a space where different populations come close to each other, interact cross paths uh, regularly in uh, in the city. Uh, to put it maybe into uh, the words of a famous uh, urban sociologist, Richard Sennett, uh, who said that uh, cities are places where stranger, strangers meet. Uh, and so there is really this idea that um, urban space or uh, the city to some extent subverts the questions of distance and proximity by putting in spatial proximity uh, various populations that can be distant uh, socially or, uh, or, or culturally. And I think these questions are particularly relevant in Abu Dhabi, uh, where we are currently located, in the sense that um, this is a place that is uh, an extremely diverse uh, city where uh, more than 80% of the population is composed by non-citizens. It's also a city that's plural in terms of the languages that are spoken, in terms of the different religions that are present uh, in, uh, in urban space. But it is also a, a city that is uh, constantly changing, which makes its urban landscape a very shifting or moving one. Um, and it has undergone tremendous transformations in the, in the past uh, 50 years. So the way we've decided to address these questions in this panel and to frame our discussion is to think about the, uh, the question of the production of space, uh, to quote the, the expression of another famous uh, urban theorist, uh, the French geographer Henri Lefebvre, who notably underlines that uh, space and urban space in particular, or the space we inhabit uh, daily, is never a blank slate. It's always a social space, uh, a space that is qualified, that is... Uh, that is produced by uh, both the uh, the persons who design it and uh, the uses of, uh, of space. And specifically, uh, Lefebvre underlines how there are many actors who take part in the production of space. On the one hand, uh, state institutions and actors, uh, engineers, architects, uh, those who conceive and design uh, urban space, but also all the people who live and occupy and use it uh, uh, daily in their everyday lives and who inscribe their practices and their own uh, meaning in this uh, in this space. And we could add also all the uh, artists or, uh, or ordinary uh, city dwellers who through their representations, through their imaginaries, also contribute to, uh, to constitute uh, this space. And so this is uh, what we're going to address today with our, uh, with our panelists. And it is this sort of multi-dimensional quality of uh, of social space that we've tried to reflect in our panel because you all come from uh, very different uh, disciplines. You are scholars and practitioners um, from various fields. And the idea here is to discuss how social spaces are made in Abu Dhabi 
who makes them and for whom and how, um, but also how uh, individuals and collectives uh, use and appropriate these, uh, these spaces uh, in, uh, in the city. So among our uh, panelists today, we have uh, Pradeep Sharma, who is the inaugural director of arts, culture, and heritage at the uh, Salama bin Hamdan and Hayan Foundation in Abu Dhabi. Uh, and uh, in your role uh, at the foundation, you oversee projects such as uh, the Salama Emerging Artists uh, Fellowship, the UAE National Pavilion, uh, the Warehouse uh, 41, and you engage uh, with creative communities in, uh, in Abu Dhabi and uh, beyond. Uh, our second uh, panelist today is Jiyoung Kim, who is an event specialist at the Sher Saud bin Sakr Al Qasimi uh, Foundation uh, in uh, Ras Al Khaima, a foundation for policy research, and who is also a recent alumna of uh, NYU Abu Dhabi, uh, where uh, she studied in Arab Crossroads, uh, studied and graduated with a senior thesis, looking in particular at the practices of sociability of young Emiratis in uh, specialty cafes in Abu Dhabi. Uh, our next speaker is uh, Al-Amira uh, Reyman Hashimi. Uh, she is an urbanist, architect, and historian. She is also the first Emirati woman to graduate with a PhD in uh, urban planning. Um, and she is the author of several publications, including uh, a famous book, Planning Abu Dhabi and Urban History, uh, which is an extensive monograph on the history of urban development uh, in Abu Dhabi. And she is currently involved with uh, many government initiatives around these questions of documenting and preserving uh, urban development, the history of urban uh, and development in, uh, in Abu Dhabi and sharing her expertise uh, in urban planning. Thank you. And finally, our last uh, panelist is uh, Adina Hampel. She's an architect and urban researcher. She is currently an associate uh, professor uh, at Zayed University Dubai at the College of Arts uh, and Creative Enterprises. And she notably contributed to the UAE National Pavilion at the 14th uh, International Architecture Exhibition at the Venice uh, Biennale uh, as a head of research for the Shindaga uh, Museum. And she's going to tell us more about, uh, about this research. So as a start, and maybe to introduce uh, everyone's uh, work more, uh, more specifically, since you all come from very different disciplinary backgrounds, uh, could you tell us a bit about how you approach uh, this notion of space and in particular of social space? Uh, in your own research, in the work you've uh, conducted so far, or in your practice? Um, Pradeep, do you maybe want to start? Thank you. Um, so, so I think the easiest way to start this is, you know, what, what am I trying to do with space? And we've been running this Emerging Artist Fellowship for eight years now. And what we found is that um, the theme in it has always been community and critique. And so for, from our research, of our practitioners and artists, designers around the world, it's great for community. The things they look for is community and critique. And so those elements of trying to find space where you can actually collect people. Uh, so a lot of the focus of our work is community. So spaces that create community. Um, and so, so you know, it's, it's, it's glib to start with a comment that start with community and space will follow. But actually sometimes you need space to instigate community. So we're finding ourselves in this position where trying to find places for these people to find people like themselves so that they can feel like they belong, but they can also have um, a feeling that they can say things in a safe space. So um, as a practitioner now, so, so, so as a manager, you know, that, that's kind of my role 
is to, is to build community. And, you know, public law has a huge role to play in that, as does the actual architecture. Uh, but, you know, we're trying to sort of put one in service of the other. And so the focus is really around the, the sociology of togetherness, and which, as you said, COVID is really interesting because, you know, what is the function that space plays? What is the function that proximity plays in creating community? So these are all being thrown up now because of COVID. So what does the future look like? It's something we're right in the middle of. So that's kind of my project moment is really from the position of what is the space in service of? And for us, it's trying to build this community of um, who are the crazies that we want to sort of so that's kind of sort of the driving thank you very much so space through uh, community uh, I don't know what is uh, your way of dealing with space as an urban planner and specialist in, uh, in urban planning um, so maybe actually there's my favorite quote that would encapsulate the way that I approach space is really like I'll read it to you um, It says, within the material realm, place is created when narratives are joined with form. This is an important distinction uh, or, or connection and can be understood in opposition to space, uh, which is physical form in the absence of narrative. Um, I, I, I particularly love this quote because to me, it like, it just gets, to, it gets um, right to the point of, you know, a space can really only be so much without the people um creating memories in there or creating um you know their stories leaving their stories uh, there and so for me it's always been about um identity um also a sense of belonging and, and understanding um you know a sense of a place and 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 you know the ideas of place making i'm very very interested in in, in that Um, and you were even saying um, how spaces uh, or places represented, you know, how do creatives or um, even government officials um, um, and just everyday citizens, um, I guess, uh, give you an, an image of a city or of a place? How do they create that image? Um, I'm very interested in those ideas. Uh, I didn't know what about you. Following through what um, people are saying and also dream, I think and this might be unlike to my background as an architect. Uh, obviously, as an architect, you are trained to create space, right? So kind of uh, creating a stage for that sort of, whether you call it a social or a spectacle, or you talked about moving the crowd. I think as an architect as an urban researcher the one part that always was more interesting to me is where the architect leaves the scene which is to me a social space or social place depending on the mode i love that one mm. <laughs> it's, it's absolutely fabulous and it starts actually where those who create that space leave meaning as the architect when you leave the scene to me this is when you can talk about social because i think As a, you know, we are very idealistic in thinking we can sort of um, coordinate social life. But really, I think the most favorite thing to me in the UAE has always been, and this is 
very prominent in my work is really when you drive along the roads, for example, during Ramadan, right? And it's Maghreb prayer. People start on the side of the stop on the side of the road and they pray. Certainly that road is not planned for that. But I think this is actually where to me that social life starts. And so a lot of my work has always been about looking at, right? So what is the memory? What is the role that people play? Um, and really how can, if at all, um, we facilitate or encourage that as planners or as, as architects or designers? or as cultural creators or entities or whatever. I think in some ways we're only there to facilitate. But what maybe can we do better when we understand that social life and how that works? Thank you. I think that's a perfect transition to uh, discuss the work of Ji Yong, who studied and intended uses of certain uh, yeah. social spaces. I was actually going to say how like you three talked a lot about creating this space. And my research was more on the usage of the space. And so my study focused more on how the youth, like the Emirati youth, to be more specific, um, I, um, see a space or use a space in order to create their own um, identity and their position in this society. So my focus was more on the specialty cafes that exist around Abu Dhabi, which um, was, you know, becoming this trend that you know, like one cafe emerged and from another and another, you would see all these coffee shops all around Abu Dhabi. They sell similar um, beverages and goods. Um, but whenever you go to these spaces, you always see young Emiratis in there. And it's really, I feel like it's a very specific um, phenomenon that you only see here in the UAE, where you only see the youth um, inside this you know, social space and also, um, you don't really, it's not very easy to see foreigners in there. It's very specifically Emirati youth. So then my focus was more, um, on why are, why are these, um, spaces being occupied by Emirati youth? Um, what are they doing here? What makes them want to come to this space? So yeah, so my, um, research was more focused on how they see themselves in the space, how they appropriate the space and, what kind of um, subcultures that they create inside a space. Mm -hmm. So I guess my research was more coming from the other end. Very cool. Yeah, thank you. So I, I think we have the chance of having people who have um, sort of look at these social spaces also in a diachronic uh, perspective, in addition to from many different, uh, different approaches. And so I'd like us to focus now a bit more specifically in, on a city that we all know very well, which is uh, Abu Dhabi, and to sort of start um, Discussing precisely what does this notion of social space means here, or how can we characterize uh, social spaces in Abu Dhabi? And so maybe if we can start with a, a historical dimension on the transformation of social spaces uh, in Abu Dhabi, uh, Rim, what could you tell us about this? Um, so, I mean, just to be clear, my research has never been specific to looking at social spaces, like sp uh, the transformation of sp social spaces, but if you know, I were to go back to my research and, and seeing how Abu Dhabi um, was planned and how it changed, um, you know, the urban morphology. Um, I would say that, you know, let's say uh, in the 50s and, and, and before that, uh, before urban development really started in Abu Dhabi, um, it was very organic. And, um, you know, looking at an old plan, uh, of Abu Dhabi from the, from the fifties, like there was a cluster of residential neighborhoods 
um, you know, the, the ramshackle huts, huts, let's say. And those had an intricate, um, um, I, I would say, although organic, but an intricate uh, formation where they're tribally distinct quarters and they, they're connected by internal walkways, the Sikak, and, you know, they lead out to uh, bigger um, open spaces called Barajas. And that's where I would say a lot of the informal urbanism would happen. Um, and there is also, there was also just a palace, a central area, and the central area had within it mosque, um, a souk, and a police station. And between the, um, central area and the palace, there was an area called Al Mishab, which is a recreation area. Um, but those were all very organic. Um, and then of course the Corniche being the, the main waterfront area, that's where a lot of the trade and exchange would happen and the boats would dock. Um, so obviously there would be some kind of socializing <sighs> happening there. Um, and then, uh, when the nation building era kicked off, let's say between the sixties and the nineties, I would say that, um, it became less informal, more formal through the planning process. Um, we had, um, uh, you know, public parks were designed, public beaches were designed, um, you know, the cultural foundation became a, a, a hotspot for, for, uh, you know, social activity, uh, cultural activity, um, the central market uh, now, you know, is, was at the time, um, even that like, was organized in a in a geometric fashion i would think like uh, that that sort of followed the grid uh, of the city but really also by the inhabitants um of the of the souk um it became more like a bazaar um and uh i would say also slowly the commercial there was a bit more commercialization of spaces so we had hotels um and cinemas and, and that kind of thing. And then, you know, and, and shopping centers, of course. Um, and then in the 2000s, um, onwards to now, I think there was a, li a little bit more of a deliberate uh, um, uh, planning in terms of uh, there was a, a much more of a concern of the image of the city. Um, so there was a lot more uh, redevelopment happening to uh, create, uh, you know, a, a, an image of the city being orderly and, um, you know, clean and neat. And, um, so a lot of the public parks were redeveloped, the public beaches were redeveloped, the Corniche was redeveloped, um, the central market was redeveloped. So there was a lot of that, um, uh, that was associated with the, the image of the city. Um, so that's kind of how I see the social spaces uh, having transformed over the years. Yeah. Thank you. That's very interesting. And I think, uh, you know, if we think about what are the spaces that are the most appropriated in Abu Dhabi now, I guess the Corniche, but also, you know, the inside of blocks, kind of like these recreational areas that we were talking about, are very much uh, still appropriated today in many, uh, in many different ways yeah. By, uh, yeah. by people who reside there. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, so, Adina, you worked a bit more specifically on one uh, very important historical social space uh, in the UAE, which is the Medjus. Mm -hmm. uh, could you tell us a bit more about this space? Um, yes. <laughs> I think very much um, in sort of addition to what we were talking about, 
you know, you have this transition from the 60s all the way to today, to perhaps more structured plans in many ways. And I think if you look back, um, even way, way earlier than the 60s, um, actually where, you know, maybe some of the first settlements recorded go back, you find these social spaces that were not planned, that were not in any way public, but they were um, similar to where we're sitting in a place for, for gathering, but they were also much more a place for gathering for this kind of social community or exchange. They were also spaces for cultural exchange, they were spaces for political decisions, they were spaces for even economical dimensions, because this is where contracts were made. Whether there was um, you know, actual um, development contracts or there were um, trade discussions, do you have perhaps the early for really for much is you don't need to have a beautiful space the way we are sitting in right now, which is quite fantastic to look at the water, right? But the earliest form you could say of the meshes is really all you need is a carpet to sit down, right? Because the meshes come from the lower jalasa, which refers to a place to sit down, and actually was used um, to solve disputes. So way, way back. People would sit down and um, on the carpets, and they would have their conversations, they would have their discussions, and it was very informal, very approachable. And um, we both were just talking about this how over the years, I would say, Amatius and Milius, maybe 50 years ago, would have been not so difficult to enter by a foreigner. I can't really think about if I could go to a particular matches today without invitation. And I think this is almost the matches perhaps has become from this very inclusive, incredibly participatory space, which literally was open, whether it was a family matches or it was open to the extended family, it was a community matches, it was open to anybody in the community. And even the, um, the matches of the rulers were open to people to enter. And this is actually how Josiah or in the would receive comments, would receive the interest of the community in the development and kind of actually could make decisions based on um, what were the needs of the community at that time. And it wasn't so uncommon that foreign farmers or foreign residents were allowed to enter that too, right? They were very much um, part of the, the audience. Today, I think a lot of the matches have become, um, I don't want to say exclusive, but to many of them, you now require an invitation. And to me, I always wonder why is that? So it, to me, the matches is, if there is a form of, particip of participation in any form of city development, it's the matches. The Western um, planners always look towards participatory planning and design, but I really think it's the matches. And if we look into history, it was that. But slowly, I think that this inclusivity that the matches have and this openness, Amman has become a little bit more close. I'm not entirely sure why that is. Um, but what I have noticed is that the physical space has sort of moved online. We now have a digital matches, right? Um, which certainly perhaps has, if you want to consider that as part of city planning, it has moved from the most simplest form of a carpet to this kind of a talk or um, from a domestic to a community to a city space, but then actually really from almost worldwide space where you have an online version of the matches. And I think that is a 
very different moment when you talk about the city. And because what does that mean? Like, is the city stop? <laughs> like, how far that you want? And I think that would be very much um, uh, a body of that. I think that's a very interesting point also because you mentioned that one of the dimensions of the Majlis was uh, the multiplicity of functions, right, that are also part of the definitions of public spaces, uh, for example, in, uh, in urban theory. And I guess that is definitely something that you find online uh, today, or like a place that has the most multiple functions we can, we can imagine uh, are these, uh, these online spaces. And of course, all the questions also of access, of openness uh, are, uh, are very relevant to that, uh, to that point. Uh, moving on maybe to thinking more about the contemporary, precisely, uh, social spaces in, uh, in Abu Dhabi. Uh, Pradeep, you were talking earlier about um, building community. And so how does one precisely make a community space in Abu Dhabi? Or how does maybe your work uh, contribute to that, uh, to that dimension? What is maybe also the evolutions that you've seen yourself in uh, you know, the existence of these artistic communities in, uh, in the UAE over time? Do you want to start with the general warning that um, there will be a lot of generalizations it's about trying to make them particular and I wasn't really conscious that, that we talk in abstracts and um, you know I want to go back to the point that, that Reeves said about you know, what, what makes a space a place because there is a there is a distinction in, in this notion of narrative and your own personal narrative in space so, so I think you know I've been there um, not quite for years and so trying to think Spaces that encourage these sort of interactions so that people can see themselves in, especially cafes, kind of really interesting because we do choose which ones can people like us. And so you can see how we aggregate this is just a human behavior, we, we aggregate it towards some of these places. And so, so you know, my sort, sort of thinking around trying to create community is also bound by scale. So some of these things that we're talking about, you know, we're talking about city scales, we're talking about um, these really large urban blocks that we have here, which are designed for the car. And it's very, you know, if you want to try and get in halfway into a block, you go all the way to the end, turn around, come back. It is not a human scale, whereas the mass is we're talking to the this. So, so I think a lot, lot of sort of thing that we've been putting into it is at that human scale of interaction, because that's the bit that and it's, you know, wanting to sort of go to, to, to my the theory of Jane Jacobs, but there's this notion of trying to create these collisions between um, So we know that serendipity encourages creativity, encourages ideas, but it also encourages trust. And the more you can interact with people, the more you start building that sense of um, trust, belonging, and not repetition, but just familiarity. So how does one see ourselves in human space? And when, when you sort of um, look at certain cities that do that, you know, Venice does that particularly well. So in Venice, there, there is a collision, there are intersections much more frequently than there are in, than there are in California. And so these cities that are privileged and create problems. Um, so I'm talking about sort of the urban transportation. But then when we get to specific spaces, we do, we have a bit of a control issue in that we want to design spaces. This is also architectural training, so I think having worked in the architecture industry, we, we design spaces for them. And this is how they are going to be. And we really create spaces for us. 
and we rarely sort of see you know, there's so many spaces where we don't really think about sociologists or leave enough room for people to own space. And so how do we do that? How do we as architects, and I'm using that in this broader sense, not just in sort of things, how do we as architects create spaces where we allow the users to make use of And you know, I think when you're talking about these sickness that you'd go through and then you have this impromptu meeting for some people to put together and then you get this impromptu match list popping up. Those are the moments you can't plan for those. Mm -hmm. But how do you then design for this serendipitous It's just those moments that actually make it a community. Uh, you know that if I walk down, I don't know how I'm going to but the conversation. And so, so some things that we, we're sort of grappling with in some of these spaces, because we've built some stunning buildings. Um, we were talking earlier about the youth hub. Um, and, you know, I do appreciate that we've come through COVID, and so usage is not that. It's much more used now than it was before. And so the other thing is time. And how do we give places time for, for them to work? You know, it's fine when, when we look at these cities that we all sort of talk about. They've been around for centuries. You know, Abu Dhabi has not been urbanized that long. So we do need to some of these places come to an but always we're sort of building too fast. So some things that we're finding with our community is this sort of notion of, do you remember the place that used to be? And so the cultural foundation is one that everyone knows, the volcanoes. There's these fond narratives that people have that then associate fondness with it. And so how do we create some of those? Because we are losing, but they are changing. So I think, yeah, the question for us was around sort of contemporary spaces. Um, they're emerging, and they will always be emerging. They'll always be emerging. They will be different to our own. So especially after that basis, they can change. You know, I have my own preferences of the one I go to based on absolutely nothing to but purely my first encounter there has then made me loyal to that space. And how does one create that? has to create the environment. Um, so I think a lot, a lot of the work that we're getting into is this sort of playing these different sort of super urban scales, super particular. And so literally getting to that one cafe might be the social hub where creators will connect to have ideas. Uh, can we force some of that? Well, actually, it's got to be a bit of a bit So everything that we do both enables and constrains at the same time. So these spaces that we make will enable certain activities, but they'll also exclude so if it's full of young MRT men, it'll include other groups. And so how, how do we think that through but provide an inclusivity in other areas? So the work we're doing is we're trying to look at that sort of more neighborhood scale privileges walking, which means that we now have to pay attention to the climate. And so shading becomes a really important part of it. We're seeing a number of these things popping up. You talked about you know, how lovely it is sitting here looking out a bit of green and a bit of water. You know, the role that plays in our own narrative about calm, it allows the other things to So we're trying to sort of get to that very specific level. But we do know that you know, any innovation district you look at around the world, whether it's Silicon Valley or Hollywood or Bollywood, people aggregate around certain social hotspots. You can't make it have to grow. So how do we do that? 
that navigates the water. I think, you know, that, that there are definitely headwinds in the Indies. And a lot of it also requires a sort of big understanding of culture, which, you know, architects quite frequently forget. I mean, I love the story about, you know, Crane Street. How do you design a street for Crane? And then, you know, that if we did design it, we probably wouldn't use it. But it's the sort of past. So how, how does one want to do that when you're trying to build spaces? So we've got to do some of that stuff and the complexity of that. But really trying to look at that sociological level. Because I think it's that sense of identity we're trying to build. So I think that's sort of a way of trying to make sense of that. But I do think that the cafes, are, you know, we know globally that cafes we're still basing them on a very strong Italian stroke Seattle model. Whereas Arab culture has a huge relationship with coffee. I mean, it's, and then so, so I'm intrigued to where those indigenous spaces are uh, because the coffee's made very different. So, you know, having seen sort of, you know, how it's done without it going into tourism, but how do we bring that in and could that become a space? Yeah. Meeting and that comes back also to, to what we were saying about. Uh, about well, I think it's been fascinating with um, distance working and um, also distance education. Just seeing the the job that an office space does um, isn't task oriented. It is the social, you know. So we're we're in a hybrid work situation. So if I have focus work to do, I would rather be at home and I desperately do it. Um, but those serendipitous meetings again, you know, the, the meeting around the coffee table, the meeting at the lunch, where you then have conversations that are ninety degrees, those are fascinating. And that is a job that requires proximity, and it requires those sort of moments of interaction. So, so I think. Yeah, again, to that particularization, that the, that proximity becomes super important. So how do we make that in a, I don't even want to say post-COVID because we're still in COVID, but and how do we do it for our children? That's one that is particularly sort of interesting because, you know, I do think a year into it, um, we build habits. We build, you know, one of the greatest things about humans is we build habits. One of the worst things about humans is we build habits. And so how do we break some of those habits uh, and create different versions of it. Uh, so just seeing how uh, children in particular are missing this notion of proximity and togetherness uh, because it's not that easy to do online. Absolutely. Um, so Gigi, coming back to this question of contemporary social spaces, so how did the coffee shops that you're, uh, you're studying precisely become these social hotspots that uh, Pradeep was, uh, was mentioning? Through the youth, um, how they are as people or like not as a social group. So then the youth traditionally um, were always seen as the one that didn't belong because there isn't really a strict um, like age or any like strict um, groupings that can be done with this group, social group of youth. I feel like they've always been in this ambiguous position where um, they historically used to be the troublemakers. You know, they were always the disruption to society. Um, and then, so then I was kind of like approaching, so I was just trying to understand the youth first, 
And I think, um, especially in the UAE right now, there is a huge focus on youth, um, like the Ministry of Youth, and I think um, Youth Hub as a space as well. Um, and it may be because of this um, this this age group. You know, I think in the UAE they define it to be in between 15 to 35, which is also a huge gap. Um, so then I was just so I you know. So my research was conducted as an ethnography. So I did a lot of interviews um, with these young Emiratis that were present in this space. And um, they actually saw this space more as a, um, well, they were there because of the trend. It wasn't really so much because they were looking for a social space to be at. No, like they actually kind of stumbled upon these spaces through social media or they saw their friends at the space. And then it was trending, so they wanted to go because they defined themselves as adventurous and trendy. So then I think that is how it began. And then more and more people or youth wanted to, you know, appropriate the space or go to the space and then kind of saw this um, place as a space where they can interact with one another. So I think the way that like they saw these specialty cafes, um, was quite interesting because they weren't really there for the coffee or the drink as well. Cause I've asked one of them. So if you were in a space that was as beautiful as, cause usually the, the attraction had to be Instagrammable, which means it has to be pretty and, um, attractive. So then I've asked, so if you found a space that had the same decorations, but they sold juice. Would you go? And they were like, yeah. Like it was not really about, you know, the coffee itself. Cause I think in the beginning, I actually approached, um, specialty cafes as contemporary, like new Magilis. So that's how I first approached it. And then the more and more I conducted the interviews, I was like, no, it's, it's not like that. It's actually quite different. So it's true that this, um, conversation still do happen within the space. It is very, still very much a space where, um, young Emiratis want to come together to, you know, talk with one another, but it's also a space where they want to meet one another. So then another focus of my research was about these Emiratis wanting to come to kind of show themselves to the public without really um, doing it so actively. So it was like a passive way of interacting with strangers. Um yeah, so I think it's like quite interesting how, you know, um, you guys are like talking a lot about creating space and how these, how you guys as an architect or a space maker could create the space. And then for me, I think, you know, I, I don't think I'm a creator of space. I'm always a user. So then it's kind of like, huh, like it's quite interesting to see how you guys have this like agenda or trying to think about how I can create the space to be used in a certain way. But for me, I never really think about it that way. It's more like I go to a space, oh, I like it. And then I stay and I use it. And then that turns into a certain culture. It ties back to uh, sort of the, the next question that I wanted us to focus on, which is we've, we've talk, discussed a lot this distinction between uh, formal and informal. And I think we've already started in the discussion to sort of deconstruct this dichotomy, right, by mentioning all the unintended uses that exist of formal spaces. But I just wanted to come back on it uh, because on the one hand, um, Abu Dhabi is often, and Gulf cities in general, are often perceived from the outside as this very 
top-down, extremely formal uh, urban spaces. Uh, and also, I was wondering, you know, um, to what extent can one, uh, as a, a designer, as an architect, precisely, sort of, of course, it's impossible to plan for the unintended uses, but how do you, you make that space available for uh, for this type of uses, for example? And and is Abu Dhabi really the formal space that that um, people might imagine in, imagine it to be, or what are you know the share of the informal in the in the space that is around us. I don't know who wants to take this, uh, this question. Architect, designer, urbanist. It's always been a question that I've grappled with. Is like, how far do you design? And where is that balance, you know, to allow for things to happen organically as well? Um, like to provide opportunities, but also to allow for things to happen organically. It's, it's always a question that I feel it's going to be something we'll grapple with forever. Um, but I also feel like we can plan all we want, but it's human nature to appropriate space. Um, you know, and I, I, I probably do a better job of quoting or, or, or referencing, uh, research that I've read, um, uh, a prominent scholar, Yasser al-Shashtawi, he was mapping the informal um, uh, urban spaces in Abu Dhabi. Um, and, you know, he identified spaces like um, um, in the Mina, uh, some area where kids take over to play cricket or soccer. And it's really... It, to me, it always goes back to what I'm interested in, uh, you know, uh, similar to a lot of the environment uh, behavior studies um, or the pioneers of the environment behavior studies who were really interested in the spaces between buildings. You know, you were saying this also, Pradeepas, you know, those are the serendipitous moments you can't really plan for. Um, so how do you how do you allow for 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 these uh, these everyday moments? Yeah, no, I mean, I feel like Abu Dhabi has these real life places, you know, so there's cars everywhere and, you know, the, even the internal spaces that before were um, planned to be sort of like courtyards are now filled with parking, but people will always manage to appropriate the space. Um, and I think, uh, you know, th to a certain extent, as much as through planning, um, the Abu Dhabi authorities are trying to, um, you know, create some kind of order, I believe that there is an understanding of the value of informality to a certain extent and how that sort of enriches um, social inclusivity and, and yeah. And now we could formalize that, we could try and build it. It just won't have the same thing. And so how, how do we not try and overcompensate and design for it, but leave some of that grittiness of urban life? Because those are the moments that, especially as a tourist, you know, you come and you want to find that real life happening um, and not make it into a thing. So, so I think that there, there, there is this issue to try and formalize the informal, but that is part of the so how, how do we do that? And, you know, that, that sort of, I don't know if gentrification is the right word, but, but they're sort of almost like formalizing of some of these spaces that, that 
doesn't help. But we have a desire to fix fix it, and it, it is tricky. But you know, I I have the same optimism as you. People find a way. You know, it's lovely to see. Um, and, and, and it's so interesting how it becomes so cultural as well that, that you know one group will play they won't play cricket they'll play basketball so you suddenly see this little basketball hoop as a rubbish bit put up. The um, Mina again is obviously a place that we're, we're particularly interested in. Um, you you see these people coming out with these little tubs that they all just turn upside down and have them you lunch. And those meetings are just beautiful under a tree. And you know we could put some furniture there, but actually that informality is what makes it really magical because then it's gone. And so there's a transience to it that, that actually is also really, really, really important to, to some of these moments. Uh, and, you know, we have a massive amount of land and that's, that's not an issue. So can we encourage it more in service of some, some, some of these areas? be really interesting. And, you know, a lot, a lot of the urban memory that people have with the, these spaces is around those narratives, those little stories that you tell you in through you, that's what we hear a lot. And um, yeah, apparently he was notorious for not taking the path trodden. He would just divert. And it's those moments of informality that actually are really fascinating. And they do bring cities to life. I found it really fascinating. Like when I go to work, there is a souk right by the water. And I've never seen this in Abu Dhabi or Dubai, but I would always see like six um, old Emirati men who sit around a small tree um, with like plastic benches with their like um, trucks parked. So then I was, I would always like pass by and every day at the same time when I go to work, I would see them. I have no idea what conversations that they're having, but it's, it was just so um, maybe not weird, but it was just, it was very unfamiliar because I think like me living in the UAE for like four years at, or like in Abu Dhabi for four years, I think it was, a view that I never really saw, but I think cricket also is a great example. Like there's this huge empty lot um, in front of my apartment and there's literally nothing. And I would look at that space and used to think, oh, like what a shame because it's right um, in front of the mangrove. It's so beautiful. It can be used. But every Friday there are a group of men. Yeah, they come out and play cricket. So I was like looking at that space thinking, actually, like, Never mind. Like, I think it's actually better for that space to be left empty. Um, I think, I mean, it's very interesting that you're talking about this, um, the unplanned, right? And sort of the informal. And I think I remember when I came in the late nineties and in the early two thousands, a couple of times, I would come, um, a couple of times every year to the, uh, to Dubai at that time, but also Abu Dhabi. You would see people in sort of, you know, what is this green strip? between the roads and so people would sit there um, and kind of have a picnic or you would um, as Reem you were talking about in the sick house they would gather right or they would sort of sit around on on almost discarded furniture and that sort of becomes your informal um, living room gathering space and when I think of that there's always this um, uh, Stefano Bianca calls the Arab city um, Oh, he refers to the city and the house, where he refers to the city in the house, right? So it's, there's this discree, uh, these various degrees of publicness, of privateness that I think exist, that we may not necessarily have in a Western city, but that certainly we have here where you do have 
a form of a living room or call it a muchness outside of the boundary wall, right? You may have also the gathering space in the middle of that road on a green strip that clearly wasn't that similar to the side of the road wasn't meant for praying. It's probably wasn't meant for sitting and having a picnic, but you used to see that. And um, I think sometimes as planners or as those who create space, certainly we're, we're trying to sort of plan for the best to that spontaneous behavior, but really you can't because you never know what people really do. Perhaps the only thing that one could do is actually study that, right? So is actually study, okay, what is it that people do in a place after it's finished? What is it, what they do um, in an area that maybe it wasn't supposed to be that? And I guess learn from that. And the only thing then that you could probably try and do, and I love what, what you talked about, Pradeep, of trying to see how can we facilitate these social spaces is perhaps really only understanding what encourages people to meet, what encourages people to maybe meet here versus there, maybe sit there versus here, or walk that angle versus walking straight. I don't know. Um, these are certainly all things that probably are much more ethnographic um, sociology, um, psychology research, and are actually architectural urban research. And I think this is where certainly in architecture and urbanism, there's a lot to be learned from these disciplines, because that's, I would say, as much as architecture and cities are for people, sometimes I feel that that's what, I don't want to say we lack, um, but that maybe we have forgotten, might be for lack of better word. Um, and sometimes I think we need to remember the value and the use of, of people and how to bring them in. And I feel that certainly the idea of the matchless in the past was that, right? And um, when you look at the UAE, there is so many opportunities where even the use is brought in, which you don't see in so many other countries. And I think, Pradeep, you were talking about proximity and closeness and trust um, and sort of this repeated or approachability. And I think it's also how approachable is the leadership of the country. And I think it's very approachable and that you don't have in a lot of other countries. So I think it's seeing that continuously perhaps encourages that conversation more than in other places. I think, uh, thank you for these insights that are uh, really useful. And I think this speaks also to the diversity of uh, of the population in Abu Dhabi, right? And the idea that also maybe uh, some population would seek within urban space or within the city spaces, places of gathering that are not necessarily available uh, in their private residences or uh, in their uh, their own domestic quarters. Um, I think we're reaching the, uh, the end of the time allotted for our, our panel. So just one last question that maybe... Um, lumping together sort of the general context uh, in which we are at the moment, because on the one hand, we are in the youth hub, uh, in this majlis that has been created as a space uh, to be appropriated by the youth and sort of looking towards the future and allowing uh, uh, them to develop projects uh, that would um, that would hopefully uh, innovate or uh, modify uh, or shape uh, the future. And at the same time, we are uh, in, the, in the middle of a pandemic, right, where uh, everything has been disrupted or the ways uh, we gather, the way we relate to each other have been, uh, have been moved uh, mainly online. And so if you could just in, in uh, a few sentences tell us your perspectives maybe for, uh, for the future or how you see these things uh, uh, evolving and, uh, and modifying. Uh, Pradeep, maybe 
I think, I think, I mean, ha- ha- having said all of this stuff about emergence, etc., one still has to do something, one still has to act. And I think there's this notion of trying to act into the unknown because, you know, we don't know what's really instant. But we do know some things. And so the youth hub is, is, is really interesting. We know that we have to do something, we have to make this gesture towards a sense of play. Now, how that will evolve is, is, is the, um, I suppose, the art of architecture, isn't it? I mean, that's sort of, you know, like you say, which bits do you do, which bits do you not do? Um, and it's been really interesting because I think this this was, like many other buildings, was done for a different purpose. So it's repurposed. And so, you know, there's almost something really interesting about how we um, do the sort of adaptive reuse of certain spaces. Um, bearing in mind now we have a little bit more understanding of where people are walking, how the Cornishes is playing out because it's not new anymore. Um, and certainly in the early days, the, the there wasn't much life here. It was this beautiful, pristine building with lots of intentions. Um, some of them have worked out relatively well. Some of them have not worked out well. Um, but it's starting to, to feel, you know, I'm surprised actually the number of people that are here yeah. socially distanced and behaving. And, um, and so it's re- re- really sort of does fill me with optimism because, you know, there's issues around universal design that, that, that I think have benefits, but also are problematic. So if we design every space to be universal, then there isn't a space for youth to go and be youth. You know, I, as a kid, I didn't know what my parents to be watching all the time. You want to have these conversations. So sometimes universal notions don't actually help. Um, and then they're not really sort of based on social understanding. So having a space where you can come in that is a little bit more exclusive for them, I think, I think that's really important. Yeah. And so that focus, I, I think, is really welcome. I do think there's a, a number of things that we're going to learn as, as the youth starts changing and also the youth start coming in post-COVID and seeing actually what, what function does this play in their social interaction uh, will be really interesting. And so, you know, it's, of course, the aspirations is this is a platform for future work and future relations, future interactions. Uh, it'll be really interesting to see what gestures we then need to do in response to. So, so I think you know you've got to do something, and so th- this has been a, a great gesture I think to, to seeing it. I do think there's some of the learnings between it's interesting. We talked about uh, Russell Kamer, the youth hub there versus the one in Dubai. There's some of the basic thing, basic things that we miss out. Yeah, can you get to it? Can you park? Can you get up the stairs? It's those elements that I think are where we can make strong statements. Because they also are the barriers to entry. If you can't get up the stairs, actually, it's going to exclude many of the youth who might who are determined. And so, you know, I, I think that there's some really interesting dynamics between them. So, the youth club itself, I think, is really fascinating. But thinking of it in relationship to the one in Dubai and the one in Asakema, that starts becoming really, really interesting. Thank you. I think um, for me, the youth hub is quite um, interesting because I remember this is where I spent a lot of my time as a student. Yeah, because I, I think for me, I used Abu Dhabi. Um, I used the space as a student. And right after I graduated, I left Iraq. So I still... Um, and I think when I first came here, there was most of the places that um, were available to people of my age were... Um, commercial spaces. So I think there wasn't really a space that was dedicated for um, us to gather or to study. And I think, for instance, like specialty cafe would be one space where I would go to study. Um, 
And I really do appreciate this space. I remember I was very excited when this building was built. And I remember speaking to Professor Esta saying, oh, like, when's the youth hub opening? I really want to go. And this is this very space was where I actually wrote my capstone and spent a lot of time. And actually, when I first came, it was very empty. It was only me and my friend. And this was pre-COVID. Yeah, exactly. And the thing is, many people didn't know about this space as well. But I think, and then I'm back, and I was actually very surprised to see how actively, um, you know, this space is actually being used. And I think that's because there was a lack of, I think, um, space for students or people um, that is that are of younger age to use because most of the spaces were hotels, malls, restaurants, um, a place with a specific purpose. And I think this space kind of doesn't have a specific purpose, right? There's a library, there's a shop, cafe, restaurant, like little rooms, art room, like it's just a space where I can do whatever I want to do. And I think that's why it's attracting more people. And I think maybe that's something that um, space makers could um, maybe, you know, help uh, this city or, you know, help create a space where, since I guess I'm still a youth, where I can, um, you know, me and my friends can come and really just enjoy the space and, you know, like just in you know casual setting without thinking that I need to spend money or I need to do something in order to be at this space. Um, I mean, I guess we're looking at the youth hub as a public space in a way. Um, and coming at it from the perspective of a global pandemic, uh, it's interesting to kind of see how the pandemic has impacted people's relationship with public spaces, you know, in a public space like this. And, um, you know, questions come to mind like, you know, how will these new, you know, will these new social behaviors like social distancing, like will these be, um, you know, will they remain or are they ephemeral? Um, you know, are, how, you know, how to, to what degree uh, has the pandemic been transformational in terms of designing public spaces or the use of public space? Um, so it's interesting to me, like coming here today and seeing, as, as you said, uh, Jiang, that it's an active space and how, you know, even us while we're sitting here together, we're like, you know, respecting social distancing, wearing our masks. Um, you know, what is, what is this going to mean for the future of, pub of public space for the youth, for the people in general? Um, yeah, I mean, for me, it's just, I, I'm just reflecting. <laughs> I don't have a specific response, but it's just, you know, it's, it's really making me think, um, what, you know, what, I th it might be too early to really ascertain how the global pandemic is going to affect planning and design. Like, is 2020 really going to show us a before and after in planning and design? You know, it's, it will be interesting to see. Yeah. <laughs> Um, I'm just thinking the entire time when we're talking about sort of social distancing, I would say, you know, that really puts the problem on the table because I think we really don't need social distancing 
I think we need physical distancing, right? When we're talking about social distancing, um, but really that is almost one of the biggest problems that perhaps is the outcome or the scenario right now that what we're actually losing is that social connection. And I mean, we can all keep the physical distance, but I think whether this was through online and these thousands of Zoom meetings that we all attended and everybody gets some Zoom fatigue at some point, the one thing that never stopped was social connection, right? So I don't think actually we did social distancing. I think we did physical distancing. Um, and so to me, that actually begs the question to really think about, okay, so what is a social space? What is a social space in a post-pandemic or in a pandemic? What is a social urban space? As Remy were talking about, um, how does that look like? And Pradeep, you were talking about the work environment, right? I mean, most of us have worked, perhaps are still working at home. So your social space has ultimately reduced literally and figuratively also um, by it um, in terms of square meter, right? Or in terms of the access you have to people, yet you are remaining connected to people. And I think does now the pandemic question social space? Does it also question what is workspace? What is domestic space? Is there going to be a complete flip to where does work or private space or work or domestic or residential space stop and start? Um, what does it mean for cities? Uh, I think all of these, I absolutely agree. We, all of these are things that we probably can't answer right now, but I think slowly this will come out. And I do think um, it was at the very beginning, um, I think it's sort of um, April, perhaps last year or in March, there were a lot of articles that came out and discussed, um, is the city the cause of the pandemic. Um, and I think that also is a very interesting question. If you think about cities are built for connection, humans need connection and proximity. And this is what cities are made for. Yet sort of these dense, comprehensive, compact cities that we all love because they're so full of opportunities and like connection and closeness, they're almost the places that now people avoid. So cities that are actually spread out um, are almost the cities that you know, are people now drawing to? So what does that really mean for urban space as well as a, as a dimension? I think certainly these are all similar to you, Reem. I'm trying to think about all of this and certainly I don't have the answer. And I think we probably won't have the answer until next year. It's probably going to take another five, 10 years, but I do think, um, and you can, I do think at this point now we can already see that certain words are redefined. And I think the one that is the biggest redefine is what we're actually talking about is the social. Um, I don't think we have a definition for what a social space is now. And perhaps it's slightly different to what it used to be. And maybe even so, it might actually be very different in the Arab world to, let's say, if you go to Hong Kong, if you go to Latin America, to if you go to Paris or to New York. I'm sure there is a, um, by the fact of the context, there is a very different definition of it not only because of COVID before, but probably now with COVID even more. Thank you. So, uh, sorry, I think we have to, <laughs> we have to conclude. But just what I take away from uh, all your responses is that there's on the one hand a sense of optimism. Uh, you know, social spaces are being reconfigured uh, at the moment and they will be reconfigured, but they will keep existing. 
uh, because people are resilient and make use of any space that is given to them. And at the same time, a sense of responsibility, which is that us as scholars, as practitioners sort of have a responsibility to not only document these spaces, but also uh, make them available, right? Or provide them or make sure that they, uh, that they keep existing. And so, uh, thank you very much to all of you for participating in this round table. Uh, and good evening. Hello everyone. Um, so thank you to all who attended uh, the talk and thank you also to, for remaining with us uh, for the Q&A, uh, despite the sound issues that unfortunately happened during the, during the recording. Um, there are really great questions that have already started coming uh, in the Q&A, so I think we'll dive right into them. And the first question was um, uh, regards the, the Corniche Fontaine and the clock, clock Tower. And I have to say we're I love that you that you ask this question because it is it it has been a, an, an important uh, topic of discussion for all of us, and we actually um, to reveal a few of the um, what happened behind the scene when we uh, recorded the talk. We actually continued the discussion for an hour and talked at length about uh, about the volcano fountain. And I, I suspect that a lot of the attendees who are with us tonight were also drawn by the picture that announced uh, this talk that was a picture of, uh, of the volcano fountain on the Abu Dhabi Corniche. And so this question was, uh, it's unfortunate that the Corniche fountain and the clock tower, among others, were previously demolished. Both were landmarks of Abu Dhabi and great social spaces. And so um, the, the person is asking uh, if there's any comments uh, about the demolition of these, uh, of these spaces. Um, Rim, maybe if you want to, to go first. Um, I mean, I think this is something that um, is a conversation that's been ongoing. And um, I believe um, it's mostly about awareness, I would say. Um, I don't know the reasons for the demolitions. Um, and I, it wouldn't be my place to, to comment on why they were demolished. But I would imagine that uh, you know there are there are plenty of uh, let's call them landmarks or spaces where people have um, you know held their memories their collective memories that are um, you know slated probably for demolition but it's probably because there is no awareness and there are no um, preservation laws of you know preservation laws and policies in place um, like you would see in other countries uh, that have historic buildings and I think just you know this this is something that is actively being worked on um, you know I, I would say as we speak whether in Abu Dhabi locally specifically or on a federal level uh, with the formation of the UAE uh, Modern Heritage uh, Committee uh, which Adina and I are both part of um, and we would hope that in the future there would be a lot more awareness, um, you know, from in in the the local organizations that are responsible, and you know, from the public uh, and hearing from the public why these spaces, what what these spaces mean to them, and why they should stay, um, and what's the history of these places. So I think until we identify uh, these these places of significance and come up with criteria to preserve them. Uh, um, you know, that's that's when we will start to um, see a lot of our favorite places sticking around um, and staying alive, let's say. 
Thank you very much, uh, Adina. We, we have a question that is um, kind of related to this one, which is the question of what would uh, define the Corniche today as a future heritage? Or what do you think are, are sort of precisely this type of landmarks in Abu Dhabi that could serve today as um, powerful uh, images of nostalgia for, uh, for the generations who are growing up now in, uh, in Abu Dhabi? Uh, I don't know if maybe Gigi, uh, Gigi, if you want to take this uh, this question, since you've lived here as a student, maybe you have uh, specific answers to to this. So, sorry, um, my internet is really bad. Could you just <laughs> could you please repeat that question um, really quickly, or I could try to to get by the color. Yeah, it was it was a question about what would. Um, define the heritage of spaces like the Corniche today for the future. So what would be, you know, the landmarks of Abu Dhabi today that would resonate with the, um, I would say, the youth who are coming of age today in Abu Dhabi? Uh, what would be the, the type of landmark that would serve the same, uh, the same use as the Volcano Fontaine did? I think for me, maybe the Youth Hub. I know that we talked a lot about it um, in our talk as well, but I think it's just... First of all, it's so big and it's, I think, right there um, and it's very accessible. So I, I do feel like in the future, Youth Hub might be become like cultural, um, cultural foundation, you know, and or maybe World Trade Center as well. I think that's another big, um, it's something that I always used to pass by and I think it's just so it's it's also very tall and it's right there and I think it being right in the middle of the city kind of gives this um it just it seems like a city center so I feel like these two I guess very much a I mean I guess youth hub is not a commercial space but like World Trade Center is a very much a commercial space and I guess in the future it would turn into an interesting heritage or a landmark um, thank you. That's interesting because it's also one of these very recent uh, spaces, right? Uh, so there's a question about the Majlis that is maybe uh, for uh, Adina, which is, um, the, you mentioned that the Majlis was a form of participatory plan planning, uh, which I agree with. The model worked when Emirati cities' populations were few and more connected. Today, this model may seem uh, not plausible. And so what new form could rise post-COVID uh, in allowing for participation of the community in the process of planning? Uh, can the UAE learn from other countries in how they, they, um, they include participation in planning? Could it be, for example, a form of digital uh, participation, like an app or, or a website? Thank you, Laurie, for the question. And thank you to the audience um, for the question. I, uh, I think it's very important when I actually would say, um, in my opinion, we can still learn from the matchless. I still believe that the form of the matchless is um, the way forward of participation because it was the most inclusive, the most um, unplanned. And I think um, most forms of involving community today into planning processes is very structured, is very organized, and is actually, you almost coordinate at what point you're bringing people into the planning process. And then the question arises, um, we always talk about this with Reem, the question then is like, at what point do you really actually can talk about an inclusive process in the planning, right? If you sort of structure it actually. And 
I do believe the matches is still a form that we should look towards. Of course, it has changed because I think, you know, the matches in some ways has gone digital because society has gone digital. So perhaps we have moved on from a physical space to what we're doing now um, in, in, a, in a Zoom environment. So I think there is versions for sure that actually even the UAE uses um, very, very um, intensely, whether these are, you know, um, um, Shaf Sultan al-Qasim the, the cultural matchless, um, it is the smart matchless, or it is even now for the 2071, um, you know, where you can actually contribute towards the vision of 2071. I mean, every resident, every citizen is actually asked to submit their ideas and needs. And I think that is a very, you could argue that is a form of a matchless in a way, right? Um, is it possible to, you know, expand the model of the, the matchless, the way it operated in the past? It's true, when it was smaller, it probably was easier. And the more people you have with any kind of project, with any kind of conversation, the more people are involved, the more challenging it gets to manage. But I still think, personally, I believe that we haven't fully understood what actually is really the contribution of the original matchless. So I would always vote for, um, we need to first understand that before we kind of um, um, say we, we can't necessarily, it maybe is no longer um, the prominent model today. So I absolutely think we should still look towards that. I think just, just, just to add, add on to that, Adina, I, th I think we also need to talk about what we mean by participatory. You know, we, we, we've talked about that as, as, as well. And I, I think there's an element of theatre that happens in the matchless. There's an element of engagement that happens in, 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 in that space of sharing um, that isn't necessarily just about the dialogue between a handful of people, but it's about the audience watching that dialogue. And I do think that, um, yes, that some online participation is anonymous, it's not personal, it's not that theatrical. Uh, so there are, I completely agree with you, I think there are elements of the matchless that we, we could definitely learn, learn from. And I think there's Definitely issues from from a governance perspective that I think other other, other models of ruling and governing can can, can get from that. Um, and I think I think that this question of scale is, is is what we're talking about. I mean, the the, the matches of yes, when things were smaller, there's an intimacy around it. You can't hold that many more. Um, but it's also what participation took place. So if it's to solicit ideas, then I agree. That I think that, that there there are better tools for soliciting ideas. But if it's for an actual dialogue and the theatre of that dialogue and the emergence of that dialogue, then there, there, there is something I think really special about the Majlis. I think there's also something um, that, that, that your research, Adina, is also sort of tapping into is there are different types of Majlises. And that is really interesting. So, so like the formal ruling Majlis, of course, is going to be different to the Shaker's Majlis. And so, so you start getting these really interesting political dynamics happening. And I, I mean, I mean po political in the small P in, in, in that sense. So I think, you know, the matchless is a social space. I think one of the other questions was um, the difference between public and social space and how some of these are, are, are not becoming, uh, they are not democratic and they, they shouldn't be public. You know, there's some of that should be in smaller shared spaces. Um, so, so I do think there's something about, I, I do believe that we need a range of types of spaces, some completely public, some completely anonymous, some a little bit more private, a little bit more sheltered, a little bit more personal. 
Um, so, so, so I think it's this, this notion of sort of really drilling down at, at, on what do we mean by participatory um, elements in that. Thank you. I think you, um, sorry. I would just maybe add something to what Pradeep is saying. I think um, Pradeep mentioned a very important point about also the muchness, right? So it's not only a place for a gathering, but it's also like, it's almost like a form of a school because it's also, you know, the younger generation learn in that space a lot about life um, in the past. It's a form of, um, of a discussion space where certainly opinions are shared. So I think it's way more than, you know, people just coming together. And, the, you know, that it's almost like, how do you find that same kind of space in one space today? I think that will probably be more the challenge as well. Thank you for uh, all these insights. So um, I think we have a little time left, but I would like to maybe tie together two of the questions that we have um, in our Q&A, which is one question is about the meaning of public space and the various meanings of the notion um, in different languages. And I think that sort of goes well with another question, which is about the diversity of, uh, of residents in, uh, in Abu Dhabi in terms of ethnicity, but also social class, uh, gender, occupation, etc. And so I think there's a real question about uh, how does how can we then characterize um, public spaces in Abu Dhabi, and how does that um, uh, how, how is, can this be articulated with this diversity, but also with the forms of segregations that exist uh, in public spaces? I don't um, know. That's a very wide question, but that is uh, go ahead. Um, I mean, if I can jump in, I mean. Abu Dhabi's demographic makeup certainly uh, poses interesting challenges when it comes to designing um, social or public space. And it's especially interesting because, you know, as, as, as you mentioned, or the question uh, mentioned that there, there is such a diversity of people, um, you know, everybody has their own um, understanding of or ideas of what's appropriate gender norms or social norms, um, um, even ideas of modesty, and yet they're all interacting in the same space and they're observing each other. Um, and as was mentioned, the pub, I mean, uh, we have this conversation all the time, and I think Adina even touched on it earlier in the conversation, is that public space here has a completely different meaning than it does when uh, you look at it, for example, in the West. Um, so I don't think that it's been entirely um, researched uh, and uh, here for us to have an understanding of what does public space mean in this context, uh, within this culture, um, you know, where the, the public and private spaces have different meanings here than they do in probably uh, the West and uh, or in North America uh, and Europe. And my stance has always been and will always be that we need research to inform practice. Um, it's imperative. And, you know, yes, it's a unique situation in Abu Dhabi uh, or the UAE, and it requires in-depth investigation. And I do agree with Adina. We, we, we as architects or designers or urbanists or planners, 
we have a lot to learn from other disciplines like psychologists or anthropologists uh, and so on. Um, you know, we need to follow in the footsteps of environment beh uh, behavior um, studies um, or the pioneers of those studies, um, you know, who looked at behavior and, and um, you know, how people interacted in public spaces, um, you know, because until we do that, that's when we will um, have armed architects, urban designers, um, city officials and urban planning uh, with the tools and the information um, necessary for making informed decisions. Um, and, I, and I stand firmly behind that. And I, I completely, I really want to echo and emphasize that because I think we need local research. You know, we, we, we take research from Mexico City, a city of 30 million, and then we try and apply it and it makes no sense. We really need some empirical data. Um, and it's, it's also sort of, you know, I, I think there should be some pride because this is an incredible city with so many different cultures in it. Like you say, Reem, just in terms of different beliefs, different behaviors and different outlooks on life. And I think, you know, there are some spaces that, that, that do become, I mean, we, we, we talked about the Minas um, and how that the, the, there's a little impromptu cricket match pops up and, and it's predominantly South Asian um, people that do that. And then you see this impromptu basketball game and, you know, not wanting to sort, sort, sort of overgeneralize and, 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 and bottle it. But there's a sense of we-ness that you get from these different groups. And I think people do actually sort of gravitate towards them. And there are times, I mean, and National Days is, is, is sort of always a fascinating day for me because you see all of these different identities, all these different nationalities in this heightened sense of we-ness. You know, I, I don't even have a word for it that, that, that we get. And there's sort of something that comes from it. So I think it's not just spaces, but it's moments and rituals. That, that, that informed them. And I think we, we see that in the Friday mosques in particular, and even the mosques have a slightly different composition. You know, you know so, so I think it's, it's such a lovely, rich conversation. And so, so you, you know, for, from an urban planning perspective, how do you allow these spaces to emerge? Um, is, is, is one, one of the big questions for us. Um, and not o overthink them and not, bring in something from, you know, France that we sort of drop in here and, and then we're surprised that it doesn't really work. We need to really look and have some empirical research here. Um, so, yeah, no, I completely, completely support, support that. So I think in direct relation to that, we have also two questions that are related to basically representations of the past and of the future. And so one question that's asking about the connection to heritage and its use uh, in it, Precisely not uh, simply as a, uh, for a short period of time or as a temporary construction, but as, as, as something that would be used sort of uh, on a more long-term um, basis. And another question that I think is sort of the other, uh, the other side of it, which is um, what do you think of the, the cities of the region's uh, desire to shed older symbols and to appear modern and uh, glassy, metallic, etc.? So how do we reconcile maybe these two uh, aspects of, uh, of urban spaces? It's also a tough one. <laughs> uh, I can maybe start and then somebody chip in because I'm not sure I can fully answer that. But um, I mean, we mentioned uh, the, uh, the Modern Heritage Committee or the Technical Committee for Modern Heritage. And, you know, one of the aim of that committee is obviously to really look at 
a period of history in the UAE that isn't um, entirely understood. Um, there's many entities in the UAE that are working and documenting this, but there is still much more to be done. So I think um, definitely this idea to, I would say we shouldn't shed symbols of the past and kind of, you know, just use the contemporary symbols. But the bigger issue for that also could be that just simply that history isn't very well documented, researched, as Reem said, and I'm, fu uh, I'm fully with that. It's not, we need much more research on so many fronts, right? Uh, right? Whether that be the building history, that be the architecture history, city history itself, that be, as Reem mentioned, the understanding of public space, that be notions of even language relationship to certain words, the notion of context. So I think we need so many understandings. And I think, we looking towards contemporary symbols is a little bit a result of the fact that we don't have that history documented. So it's very easy when you have um, pre-60s documented and you have sort of the 2000s documented, but whatever is in between is sort of missing. So then really, what are you leaning towards, right? So I think we need that research. And the other thing I would say was the period. I think that's a very interesting um, way of looking at it because history is always a continuum, right? So I think um, it really makes sense to even look at, you know, when let's say the first trading route started in Ras Achema and in the Iron Age, um, what does that have to do with the, um, the multi multidisciplinary or the multiplicity or the interdisciplinary of spaces today? How is that still connected? So that might be indeed very interesting. But I don't have a firm answer to that. I don't know if someone else can. <laughs> I think, unfortunately, we have to conclude here because we are out of time. Uh, I just wanted to say that there, there were uh, a few other questions that came from students who are precisely sort of doing the research that, uh, you know, that you called for, uh, Rim and, uh, and Adina. And so what I would suggest is uh, we are all very approachable people. And so feel free to reach out to us. You can find our contacts on the websites of our, uh, the institutions that we are affiliated with. And so feel free to contact us if you, um, if you have questions about bibliographical references, about how to conduct research on, uh, on these types of topics, and we would be very happy to uh, help. Uh, thank you everyone for a great discussion again, and have a good evening. Thank you so much, and thank you, Laurie, for yeah, and thanks also, uh, sorry, I just wanted to add a, a few uh, words of thanks to uh, all the institutions that contributed to organize this event, but also a special thank you to Nahed uh, at the NYUAD Institute and especially to Chloe at the French Institute for all the work uh, that she did for organizing this, uh, this event. You've been listening to a download from the NYU Abu Dhabi Institute. You'll find more information on our website www.nyuad.nyu.edu slash institute.